0: And uh, please can the rest of us turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians and chapter 10. We'll read verses 1 to 6, but we're going to be thinking this morning about verses 3 to 5. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold when I am away. I beg of you that when I'm present I may not have to show the boldness show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh for though we walk in the flesh we are not walking, waging war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. But have divine power. To destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments. And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive. To obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience. When your obedience is complete well uh, let's come before god now and let's ask him to help us lord thank you for your grace and thank you for your goodness to us and lord we do pray now that you will speak to us by your mighty word and cause it to have great power in our lives great effect in our lives we pray Any who may be here this morning who may not uh, have eternal life yet, we pray that you will speak with a voice that raises the dead and bring them to yourself. And those of us who do know Christ already, we pray that we'll be strengthened and encouraged and moved to serve you better. So we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not sure I mentioned the page number, so if I, if I fail to mention it, let me give it to you now, page 1151. And we're thinking then about 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 3 to 5. Now, these verses speak about the mighty spiritual power that those who speak about Christ exercise when they declare... The word of God. The Christian who speaks about Christ is involved in a mighty spiritual conflict against the powers of darkness. And that conflict is for the souls, hearts and souls of of men. People in their natural state are in the grip of Satan. Their hearts are locked up like mighty fortresses. And humanly speaking, nothing can change that situation. No human reasoning, no human power can break open these hearts for Christ. Christ. But what these verses are saying is that when the true that is that the true believer has access to mighty spiritual weapons which can be like dynamite which break open the most strong safe and which unlock people's hearts and bring people to Christ. And so what can happen is that Spiritual fortresses, those spiritual fortresses that that stop people from believing in Christ are demolished and people are set free to come to Christ. And God works in their hearts to move them to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thus, unbelievers are rescued from the kingdom of Satan and brought into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you... Received uh, the notification for this morning's sermon. You may have seen that I, perhaps rather cheekily, entitled this sermon "Power Evangelism." Now that that uh, phrase "Power Evangelism" uh, is it was actually used in a book which was written a few years ago now uh, by a man called John Wimber. And what Mr. Wimber said is that the, the, the sort of evangelism that most churches are involved with, what one might call ordinary evangelism, he said, that's no good. It's you, good just preaching to people. No, he said, what you got to do, you've got to do power evangelism, he said. What you've got to do is you've got to do signs and wonders. You've got to do miracles, uh, like the miracles that Jesus did and the miracles that the apostles did. And if you do these miracles... That's power evangelism, he said. And that way, if you do this power evangelism, then a people will believe, a people will come to Christ. But just, just telling people that, 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 what the Bible says, no, they say, that's no good. That's not going to do anything. Well, what this passage teaches us is that so-called ordinary evangelism is power evangelism. That the word of God is mighty. And it is powerful. And in those people in whom God chooses to work. It will demolish strongholds. And no matter how much of an atheist somebody might be. Or how much somebody might be involved in sin. Or he might be involved in the occult. Or might be involved in this or that destructive habit. When God takes that word that's been spoken. And he uses it. All those arguments that the person might bring up against Christ will fall flat. And that person will come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why do you need to hear these verses? Well, if, if you're not yet a Christian, you need to hear what these verses are saying because they describe what you are like now. You are locked up like a fortress against, the, against God and against his gospel. You need, to be, you need to have your heart conquered by God. But they also show you what God is able to do. God is able to break down that fortress of unbelief. And God is able to bring you to Christ. And if you are a true Christian, you also need to hear these verses. Because uh, if, if you, what these verses do is that they remind you of what you used to be like, what I used to be like. You used to be a great fortress against God, a great bastion of unbelief <coughs> against God and rebellion against God. But God broke into your life. God broke into my life. And he destroyed uh, that opposition to uh, his word. If you're talking about the problem with the microphone, you might need to switch it on the speaker on in the plug. There's a plug and you switch on in the crash. Uh, so uh, these, this should encourage you and strengthen you if you are a Christian, and as you're reminded about what God has done in your life but also these verses should encourage you because what God has done in your life he can do in your unconverted in the lives of your unconverted family members he can do in the life of of uh, your work colleagues Uh, he can open up Their blind eyes. He can unlock their hearts. He can bring them also to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And these verses teach us us that we... But also that we need to use God's methods for reaching people. Spiritual weapons, not fleshly weapons. Well, let me just... uh, say a bit about the context and then we'll come to consider these verses in a bit more detail. So uh, let me just remind you if you were here last week or tell you if you weren't here, uh, we are at the, towards the beginning of a new section in Paul's letter to second letter to the Corinthians. And in this section he is having to address the problem of false teachers who have come Into the church. And uh, that this section runs from chapter 10, beginning of chapter 10, pretty much right the way through to the end of the book. And in verses 1 and 2, which we were thinking about last week, uh, Paul speaks about how he anticipates that when he comes to Corinth, he's going to have to confront these false teachers who've come into the church. And what worries him is that uh, if the church doesn't distance itself from these false teachers, he's going to have to confront the whole church, which would be extremely painful for him and for the church. And so he says in, in verse 1, uh, I, Paul, myself entreat you. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And he says, goes on verse 2. I beg of you that when I am present I may not have to show boldness and such confidence as I count on showing yet. some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. He says, there are these people who say, oh don't listen to Paul, he's just a weakling. He's a nobody. We're the ones we need to listen to. We, we're the powerful ones, we're the strong ones. We want to listen to us, they're saying. And Paul is saying, I beg of you, don't listen to these people. I'm going to have to confront them, but I don't want to have to confront you. Now then in verses 3 to 5, he sort of deals with this issue. They're saying, oh, Paul's just weak. Paul just lives according to the flesh. By which what they mean is... You know, oh, look at him, he's, he's got no money, he's always in trouble with the police, he's always getting being arrested, and he's in prison, he's weak, he's, he's getting persecuted, he's getting ill, he's got no money, oh, he's just weak, he's just walking, living according to the flesh, he's a nobody, he's passé, he's, he, you know, don't bother with him anymore. We're the new guys. We're the super. We're the great apostles. They say. And what Paul does here is, he he says effectively, "Well, I may be weak physically, but I'm not weak spiritually." Yes, uh, hands up. <laughs> no money. Yep, that's me. Uh, no physical power. Yep, I'll have that one. Uh, Ill all the time. Yeah, that's true as well. (laughs) Uh, But, but, spiritually, God is using me. People's lives are being changed. And that's really what he's saying here. He's saying that that, uh, there is a power... A mighty power that is at work through him to change people's lives. Even though he, at the human level, the physical level, he is weak. Now, uh, a question we need to address before we actually look at these, these verses in detail is we do need to address the issue is Paul in these verses? There are certain times when he talks about the power that he has had as an apostle. But we need to address the question is in these verses, is Paul talking about his power as an apostle, or is he talking about the power that all Christians have when they preach the gospel? Now, we do need to address that issue because um, if he's just talking about his power as an apostle, then we say, well, this is interesting and we can, you know, learn from this about how he's, a, he's an apostle a great power. But if, on the other hand, in these verses he's talking about the power that he has as a minister of the gospel and as a Christian, then these verses we can say, well, huh, God could use me like this. Now, so we do need to Think carefully about this, and this is an area where we do need to distinguish carefully. That book that I mentioned, Power Evangelism, by John Wimber, and there's been lots and lots of other books similar that say similar things. And people are still saying these things. They never give up. John Wimber, by the way, you know, in his case, you know, he, his his work got discredited by the fact that that that. Um, his very good friend David Watson got badly ill and died. And then his mother got badly ill and died. And then John Wimper himself got badly ill and died. But unfortunately the ideas carry on. So we do need to distinguish between the power that apostles had on us as apostles. And the power that we have as believers. Now, so what we do need to recognize is that apostles had power by virtue of the fact that they were apostles which we do not have they could bring and I I could give you script examples for these I'm not going to do so because I don't want to that they would detract us from our main point but the apostles had the power to bring new infallible words from God revelation from God and to write scripture they had the power to speak a word and cause people to drop down dead They had the power to make lame people to walk. They had the power to cause people uh, to, to command demons to come out of people. They had the power to raise the dead. And they had the power to impart spiritual gifts to other people as apostles. These were powers that were given to them... By the Lord Jesus Christ, and these powers showed that they were apostles. Now, we should not try to imitate those powers, because we're not apostles. We don't, we're not, we don't have the authority that they had, and we don't have the ministry that they had as apostles. To be an apostle, you had to be a witness of Jesus being raised from the dead. Well, none of us are witnesses of Jesus being raised from the dead. So is Paul in these verses talking about his, power, his unique power as an apostle? I answer no. I don't think he is. I think in these verses he's talking about the power that all tr- true Christians exercise. When they share the word of God with other people. Why do I say that? I say that for two reasons. First of all, because Paul doesn't, doesn't say I here, he says we. And as we've been going through this letter, time and time again, Paul has talked about the experience that we have as Christians. What we do, the suffering we go through, and the strength that God gives us as Christians, using the word we. So why would Paul suddenly use we in the sort of the royal we sense just of, oh, you know, me? No, he's talking about common Christian experience but secondly because of what he says about the effect of this power the effect of this power is to change people's minds to make people think differently to bring people out of darkness into light to cause people in other words to be converted well that's what happens Not just when apostles are at work, but when ordinary Christians share the word of God. So yes, there are certain times when Paul does talk about his power as an apostle. But I suggest to you, I put to you, that here in these verses, he's talking about the power that every Christian who is born again, who speaks the word of God, exercises. This is amazing. Yeah, you might think, well, who am I? I'm just an ordinary Christian. Well, you are just an ordinary Christian. Just like me, I'm just an ordinary pastor. We're nobody, aren't we? And yet, there is this mighty power that is at work in us and through us to cause spiritual strongholds to be demolished and people to come. To Christ Now, uh, so let's think about these, these um, verses. And I plan to do so under five uh, headings. First of all, there is a spiritual war going on for the souls of men. Secondly, the impossibility, humanly speaking, of anyone being converted. Thirdly, we see that we should not use wrong means... To, to cause the to try to bring take forth the course of Christ fourthly we see we should use spiritual weapons, spiritual means, and then fifthly we see the mighty effect of these in those in whom God chooses to work. so let's think about these things now. first of all then, the there is a spiritual battle going on. The souls of men. So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and let me read these verses again. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So we see then, there is a mighty spiritual battle going on. He says, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. He talks about strongholds. The strongholds being destroyed. This is, this, is the, this is the language of war. But we're not talking here about a physical war. Not talking about a war involving guns, or in those days, bows and arrows and spears. We're talking about a spiritual conflict. A conflict for the souls of men. Now, we have to understand that there's a massive conflict that's going on. This world is under the power of Satan. Paul talks about him in chapter 4, verse 4 as the god of this age. In Ephesians 2 he talks about him as the ruler of the powers of the kingdom of the air. He is this he is this, the one who's at work in those who live in disobedience. This world is in the grip of Satan. Everybody who's born, who's born a child of Satan. And as they grow up, that influence of Satan becomes more and more apparent as, 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 as his or her as as, as that child starts to develop its own individuality and its own way of life, you can see the influence of Satan in that person's heart. Now, it's not that Satan individually lives inside people. The number of people, thankfully, in whom evil spirits actually live is relatively small because the the devil only has a limited number of demons. but the way the principal way in which the the, the devil controls this world is through dominating people's thoughts. through domi- in, in our day it's dominating the media, dominating social media, dominating the news channels, dominating education. So all of these the devil is using all of these things to hold the whole world in his grip. But what God has done with Jesus, with the coming of Jesus, God has, God has broken in with an alternative kingdom. Jesus died on the cross and was raised again. he taken up to heaven. He poured out the Holy Spirit. And now there's an alternative kingdom. In this world. And what's happening is that kingdom is advancing. And what's happening is that people, individuals, are being plucked out of the kingdom of Satan and brought into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the fiercest fighting in any war is always at the front, isn't it? It's where the two kingdoms are interfacing each other. That's where the conflict is happening. And so, when somebody is at the edge of becoming a Christian, that is when the conflict is the fiercest. Because the Lord is approaching that person to bring that person to Christ, but the devil is doing all he can to stop that person from coming to Christ. So there is this huge conflict which is going on. Now, Paul talks in Ephesians six also about the spiritual conflict they were involved with. And as Ed has been preaching Sunday evenings, and I would encourage you to come on Sunday evenings to hear uh, the sermons that Ed has been giving on on, on on the battle. The difference that between that section, that verse, that passage in Ephesians six, and what we're talking about here is that Ephesians 6 is talking about the conf- primarily about the conflict that's going on over us once we're saved. Because once you're saved, the devil doesn't give up easily. And he tries to draw you back into wrong thinking. Tries to, to make you doubt your salvation and, and tries to draw you into temptation. But what this is talking about, this passage, is talking about the great conflict that is taking place... In the matter of mission, in the matter of evangelism, Christ is moving forward with his kingdom, and the devil is saying, No, I don't want you to get, I don't want to. He doesn't want to release his subjects to hand over, hand them over to Christ. And so there is this great battle that is going on, and every person who comes to Christ involves a monumental struggle. This often involves huge difficulty for the person himself. And often great difficulty for those who are involved in preaching the gospel. So if you are a young Christian and if you've had huge problems in your life or if you're, you're coming near to Christ and all sorts of things blow up in your face, don't be surprised. Because the devil doesn't like it when somebody becomes a Christian. And if you're involved in outreach and terrible problems have arisen in in your life, don't be surprised. Because there's a great conflict that is going on. So um, that's the first thing. Now secondly, I want us to notice from this verse the impossibility, humanly speaking, of conversion. Look at what he says again. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. To take every thought captive to obey Christ. There are strongholds. Mighty fortresses. Against the truth. The problem is that the human heart is locked up like a mighty castle or like a mighty fortress against the truth of the gospel. Everything is stacked against people becoming Christians. Think about the, 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 the impossibility of someone being converted. First of all, He's spiritually dead. Paul says that in Ephesians 2, verse 1, that the person who's unconverted is dead in trespasses and sins. Then also he's got a heart that doesn't want God. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately corrupt. Your friend's heart is anti-God. Your your child's heart is anti-God. Your neighbor's heart doesn't want God. Much prefers sin. Much prefers a life without God. And then also, people have been blinded by Satan. Back in chapter 4, you might want to look back quickly. Um, He talks there about how, uh, uh, verse 3 of chapter 4, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, Satan, as we've just mentioned before, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What hope is there? You might say, how could anybody be converted because they're blind? Then add to that the fact that there is the peer pressure from the world. The whole world is anti-God. The whole world is going down this broad road to destruction, to, to... to turn from that for your son or your daughter or your parent or grandparent or your friend to become a christian will mean that he or she is going to have to stand against the whole flood of peer pressure and then on top of that think of the fact that the devil has so smartly put up all sorts of decoys all sorts of false versions of christianity so that if anybody does start to show an interest, he can divert them this way or that way. He can take them off uh, to Islam. That's got that's monotheistic religion. Well, there you are, There's, and it doesn't make any demands on you particularly. You have just got to do a few good works and make the right confession, and you've got a place in paradise. Well, that that that. So some people get dragged off that way, and other people get dragged off to uh, Catholicism. Oh well, this is. You know, the church will get you to heaven. Just toe the line and get, get involved with the church and go to Mass, get your priest in to do the first, con- to do, to christen your baby and then do the first confession, do the last rites, and you get to heaven that way. And the devil then will, if that doesn't work, he'll put, he'll put in front of somebody Jove's Witnesses or Seventh day Adventism, or he'll put in front of them liberal Christianity. Oh, look, you don't have to go against what the world says, you can just go along with the flow. And have an inclusive uh, version of Christianity. Go that way. Or if that doesn't work well. How about the health and wealth gospel. You could be rich. You could be famous. You could be healthy. And so all the devil puts all these different alternatives. In front of people. So that if anybody does start to show any interest in spiritual things. He can quickly divert them off one way or the other. So how can anybody be converted? It's impossible. Humanly it is. So, if you are a Christian, uh, be grateful. God did a miracle in your life. You wouldn't be serving the Lord today if it wasn't for the fact that God has done a mighty miracle in your life. And you sh- that shows you that God loves you. That shows that he shows you. Because he could- it would never have happened otherwise. But it also should help us to realize what the problem is in those that we love you know perhaps you're concerned for your son or your daughter your daughter your son's problem is not that he's got bad that, that he's got bad friends or he's living in the wrong neighborhood that's not his problem his problem is that he's got a bad heart we don't like to say it We thought oh he's a good boy really no he's not sorry to tell you he's not he's a bad boy As everybody is. People are bad. They don't want God. That's the reality. But the great good news is God has got the power to change people. So that's the second thing, the impossibility of conversion. Now then the third thing to see is that Paul, we learn from this passage that we shouldn't use the wrong means to try to deal, to try to bring people to Christ. Here the verse says again. Paul says, Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Paul says he doesn't wage war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. What does he mean by that? What he means is he doesn't use human power, human resources. He relies upon the power of God. Now, unfortunately, down through the ages, you look at Christians down through the ages and you find that, in fact, Exactly what Paul says he did not do, some Christians have done. Sometimes even quite well-meaning, quite good Bible-believing Christians. Let me give some examples of, of what, would, what I think would be classed as, as, uh, as weapons of the flesh. First of all, physical coercion. Some people have tried to force people. To become Christians. You know, King Alfred, you know, he lined up all of the his his enemies and said, Right, get baptized or you're dead. Well, of course they all got baptized, or well, most of them. But were they Christians? No. And that that story's been repeated. And even Protestants sometimes have fallen into this, sadly. You've got examples of, of, of some reformers who who actually Killed Baptists like ourselves who believe in believers' baptism. They have them killed, have them drowned. Say, so you want to get baptized? Well, we'll tie you to a post and you will drown you in the, in, the, in the river as the river comes up. No, we should not use physical power. Now, thankfully, those cases are rare of biblical Christians. Most biblical Christians have usually understood this and have been at the forefront of arguing for religious toleration. We should not use physical coercion. Then also another fleshly means would be what you might call slick advertising. Now there's nothing wrong with having a handbill which tells people that there's an event happening, letting people know. Of course not. But but some organizations use clever slick advertising. We shouldn't use such things. Or also, clever philosophical arguments. People, some Christians have resorted to um, various arguments, rationalistic arguments, hoping that by that means they can win people for Christ. Now, I suppose what you call apologetics has a place in terms of helping believers to know to what they believe is rational and, and makes good sense. But it's not through apologetics that someone is converted. Because someone needs to be convicted of sin. And he needs to be led to the point where he cries out to God for salvation. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 1, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It's through the preaching of Christ, through the cross, that people were saved. And then, Another example would be psychological tricks. You know, you can get... You know, if you ask the right questions in the right order, you can get somebody to agree to anything. This is what, you know, salesmen have learned. You know, there, there's a certain way to get somebody to agree to to have some double glazing installed in their house or to or to buy a car. It's, it's, it's true, it's still done today. These clever tricks. And sometimes these clever tricks... Come into the church, you know, the, the, the lighting's turned down. There's a bit of music. Now, just follow this prayer after me. And then when you've said this prayer, now, now raise your hand. Now, now stand up. Now come to the front. Oh, you're a Christian. But what's worse, They've been tricked, they've been manipulated into making a decision for Christ. We shouldn't resort to such things. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2, We've renounced disgraceful underhand ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. We don't use these clever means, these clever tricks. Another, another trick or another human means that we've got to be careful about is, is almost bribery. You know, come to church and we'll give you um, A meal. Well, so as we have meals sometimes but I hope it's not used as private you know this is the way to you know in some situations you've got to be very careful that, that, that you know a church wanting once runs a soup kitchen wants to help people that's fine but be careful because you know people can latch on to the church for wrong reasons in, I had a mission the pastor of my church where I where my first real Bible believing church I'm part of He'd been a missionary in India, or he had missionary friends. And he said, of course, the problem is that that, that some some of the people talk about rice Christians. They're Christians because they know that there's rice to be gained from the church. We need to be careful, don't we? And then social and political action. Christians have thought, well, if we just do political work, social work, the church will grow. They used to call it in the 1920s the social gospel. You you do these things and and, and the, the, the church goes forward. No, no one's converted through social work. Why do some believers resort to these things? It seems to me that it's because of a loss of confidence in the word of God. It's a loss of confidence in what God can do through the means that he is provided. So we come then to the weapons that God does use. Let's just read those verse, these verses again. Though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroying strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. Paul talks about spiritual weapons. What are the weapons of our warfare? What are the weapons that God uses? Well, let me mention three of them. The word of God, holiness, and prayer. The word of God. That verse, um, but, um, we were just reading earlier about how Paul, he, sa- he says he refuses, he renounced dis- dis- disgraceful and unhand ways, refused to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. And then he says this, but by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. It's through the word of God. This word, this gospel, this is the power of God for salvation, Paul says in Romans 1. This is the mighty word that that does break down opposition to the truth and does bring people to himself. Hebrews 4 uh, talks about Sorry, uh, talks about this, how, how uh, uh, God's word is, is, is mighty to set uh, God's people free. Sorry, I'm, I've lost the, the reference just for a moment there. But the word of God is mighty to, to expose the, the sinfulness of men's hearts. Yes, Hebrews 4, verse 12. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God. Holiness. A true believer who by the power of the Holy Spirit is loving, is humble, gentle, meek, Christ-like, truthful. This, this is very powerful. When when a true Christian speaks the word of God and then lives that unleashed and then thirdly prayer when a Christian is in touch is praying he or she is in touch with the omnipotent God and when you ask God to do something and and God God agrees he's going to do it no power in heaven and on earth can stop that thing which God has commanded to happen from happening. The Word of God, holiness, and prayer. Now, are these weapons the preserve only of pastors? No. You have those weapons. You're a Christian. You've got those weapons, you've got those means at your disposal. You can tell the Word of God. You can live a holy life by God's grace. And you can pray. It's not just for the professionals. It's for all of us. You have these mighty weapons at your disposal. Think of ordinary people that God has used. Think of the story of Naaman. Do you remember Naaman, the the commander of the armies of the enemies of Israel? And he was cured of his leprosy and incredibly this this man became a true worshipper of God. But what led Naaman to go all the way to Israel and find the prophet? And then to go and bathe in the Jordan. and He got cured of his leprosy and then he became a true believer. What was it? Well, it was some little teenage girl who'd been enslaved. She'd been caught in battle and dragged back to to Assyria. And and she said, if only my master would go and find the prophet in Israel, he would know that there is a God who could heal him. And that little girl she just said that just a few words, and it led to this mighty conversion of this of this of this man who was really implacably opposed to God, who would worshiper of idols, and, and an enemy of Israel. But he was converted. Who's to know what you, could, you know? You could say to your colleague, you know, if only you would just trust in Jesus, you'd find your life was so different. You know, you could say that, can't you? Of Course you can. You don't know the power. We don't know what God can do through us. You might think, oh, I can't come up with all these really clever arguments for the for the for the belief in God. I can't argue these atheists. They are all too clever for me. They're much too educated. They, go, they know all about evolution and all these sorts of things. I can't argue all that sort of stuff. No, of course you can't. Most of us can't. But you can still tell them about Jesus. You can still tell them they're sinners. You can still tell them that there's a judgment day coming. And and if they trust in Jesus, they'll be saved. You can say that. And you can still live a holy life. And you can still pray for them. Who's to know what might happen? Who's to know? So... The weapons of our warfare. And then finally, uh, the effect of these weapons. I'll read again these verses. Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Yes! Your non-Christian family member is like a castle locked up, but with these weapons, God can break open that fortress. God can destroy that he can destroy the strongholds. He can destroy the arguments. He can destroy the lofty opinions raised against God. And he can take every thought captive and bring about the obedience to God. And that's why we, well, that's why we read the story of Jericho earlier on. This mighty fortress. What did they do? They shouted. They declared the word of God. And down it came like a pack of cards. Like a house of cards. God's word is mighty. And who's to know how God can work? We don't know how many God will work in. It might be one or two. It might be thousands upon thousands. That's in his hand. That's his sovereign choice. But we can and should have confidence that God will work when we speak about him. So some points of application finally then. Anybody who's not saved, come to Christ. He can change you. You might be in the grip of all sorts of habits of sin, but the Lord has the power to save you. Come to him. If you're a Christian, I say this. First of all, don't give up on your non Christian family, friends, and neighbours. You never know what God can do. Pray. Live a holy life. And look for those opportunities to speak the Word of God. And then I'd say do not be intimidated by what you think is your weakness, your physical weakness. Or your intellectual weakness. Don't be intimidated by those things. The weapons that you've got to your hand are very, very powerful. Spiritual weapons. And then I'd say also support those who are witnessing for Christ. Look for opportunities to go and help Ed. In Stratford, come and help with the introduction of Christianity class. Uh, come on, come back to church Sunday evenings. Support what others are doing to try to proclaim the gospel. You might say, "What good can I do?" I tell you, you just turn up and you put your, put your put sit down on that pew. You have done an enormous amount of good. If you do nothing else, you just literally do that. Fantastic good for the preacher, and fantastic good for any visitors who might turn up. You can do that, can't you? Most of us can. So let us uh, be encouraged by these, this, this, uh, this mighty power that is available to us who believe. Uh, well, let's now um, sing our last hymn, number 616, Go Forth and Turn.